Hi, and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Nada Khan, and I'm one of the associate editors of the BJGP. Thanks for taking the time today to listen to this podcast. In today's episode, we talk to Dr. Sarah Tonkin-Krein, who is an associate professor and health psychologist based within the Nuffield Department of Primary Healthcare Sciences at the University of Oxford. We're going to discuss the paper that her and her team have recently published in the BJGP titled Implementing Antibiotic Stewardship in High Prescribing English General Practices, a Mixed Method Study. So thank you, Sarah, for joining us here today. Um, I think that most people listening would agree that reducing inappropriate antibiotic prescribing is important in terms of limiting antimicrobial resistance. And different interventions to try and limit inappropriate prescribing have been rolled out previously in trials or at GP level or, or even at PCN level. But tell us a bit more about the background to this particular study. Sure. Um, so yeah, as you say, we've done a lot of antimicrobial stewardship work in, in UK general practice over the last 20 odd years. Um, and there have been great effects of that because antibiotic prescribing has gone down substantially. The latest sort of clinical trial evidence that we've got um, is that certain interventions have shown to be effective and safe at reducing clinically unnecessary antibiotics. Um, but what we haven't done yet is gone from that clinical trial evidence and really seen people adopting those strategies in practice on the ground. So I've been speaking to GPs in, in the UK for about 14 years now about antibiotics. And when I when I speak to people now, they're still saying that they don't use delayed prescriptions very often. Um, we haven't got point of care diagnostics in very many practices in this country. Um, and we're not really drawing on um, training schemes like enhanced communication skills for GPs. So we've got the clinical trial evidence, that's all there, but it's not in practice. So this study was all about saying, okay, what can we see when we look at real life implementation? So let's go to out to practices, let's give them these strategies. If cost is a barrier to practices using point of care tests, let's give them the point of care test equipment and see what they do with it. Let's um, you know, remind them that uh, communication skills training is available to them. Let's make it accessible. Let's make it brief, most importantly. So it takes you know, a GP 10 minutes to read it rather than three hours to study it. Um, and you know, let's remind them about what delayed prescribing is, why it can be useful, what the different formats are, and also remind them that the evidence shows that not all patients cash their delayed prescription. Only about a third of patients who get a delayed prescription cash it. Um, so that can be a, a misunderstanding um, on part of clinicians. So we set ourselves a challenge because we decided to go to the highest antibiotic prescribing practices in our study. So we chose nine practices and they were in the top 20% of high antibiotic prescribers. So we weren't going for, you know, above average. We were going for the really consistently high prescribers over time. And they tend to be practices that are high prescribing in other medications, um, have higher sort of staff turnover, have less resources. So we were really targeting those hard to reach practices because, you know, as I've said before, we've made great strides in AMS in UK general practice, which is great. But we've kind of attacked the low-hanging fruit. We've we've sort of improved the practices who were, were willing to do stuff and were able to do stuff. But we we really need to focus on those practices that haven't been able to change for whatever reason um, and see whether more tailored strategies uh, or different strategies might help them. And so as you've discussed, you took a 
variety of different approaches and you developed interventions to support the use of three antimicrobial stewardship strategies. So you mentioned better communication skills, giving delayed prescriptions, and then also point of care CRP testing. But just talk us through how these interventions were rolled out in the different practices, these high prescribing practices, which I think is a great ambitious goal really really in this in this study so um we had an implementation intervention which was web-based so it was a website and within that website we had a section for each strategy so enhanced communication skills delayed prescriptions and point of care crp testing and then we also had an implementation section um so each section was about five or ten minutes to go through Um, We reminded clinicians that they're excellent at communication skills already, um, but that when you're speaking about antibiotics, there are certain things you can say that are very well received by patients to help them understand why they might not need antibiotics for their cough. With point-of-care CRP, we had instructions about how to use the test, and we gave clinicians a quantitative test and a qualitative test. So there was a test where a bit like a pregnancy test where you could take a drop of blood and you get lines which um, give an indication um, of what the CRP is and then a quantitative test which gives you an exact number. And practices could choose which of those they wanted to use or both. And then with delayed prescriptions, we reminded uh, GPs and prescribers um, the different formats you can use for a delayed prescription, which is uh, leaving it at reception, post-dating a script, um, giving a script to a patient as normal, but just giving them instructions to use it later. And again, we provided example statements of how you might present that to a patient, because often the messages that clinicians give are misunderstood by patients, and that can lead to confusion. Um, So messages that we'd already shown to patients that they were sort of accepting of. Um, And then the last section was implementation. Um, So within that, we suggested that practices should have a champion um, who would take all these resources and would help make their colleagues aware of them within their practice, um, would point colleagues to specific things and would sit down and have a practice meeting with them where they discuss the strategies of the practice and chose which ones they wanted to use. I think that's a very pragmatic approach. I mean, if you're thinking about changing behaviour, you need to accept that there's already going to be some behaviour on the ground that people might want to hold to. And some of it is very practical, as you say, having one point of care testing unit in a practice that three GPs are queuing to use isn't really going to be sustainable in some settings. Um, So, You talked a bit about um, the different interventions, and this was a mixed method study. So you looked at the antibiotic prescribing rates in the practice, but you also did some practice level surveys and interviews with healthcare professionals as well. Um, So I wonder if you can just talk me through the different aspects and maybe start by telling us a bit about the main findings relating just to the antibiotic prescribing. Sure. Um, So as you say, I mean, this is a behaviour change intervention. So we're trying to change antibiotic prescribing behaviour. And whenever you're looking at the effects of a behaviour change intervention, you want to really understand how it works. So you don't just want to look at effectiveness. If it's effective, that's great. But you want to understand why it's effective. You might have components or intervention um, which are duplication or which are unnecessary. So you could make it simpler in order for it to remain effective. But Really importantly, if it doesn't work, you also want to know why it didn't work. Um, And so that's why 
we always try and do mixed methods evaluations to actually see how an intervention was used and which parts uh, were most useful. Um, so with this study, um, we started off um, giving people the intervention in November 2019, and we planned to follow them up for 12 months, but that was not good timing in terms of pandemics. Um, so we actually only followed them until March 2020. And within that three or four month period, we didn't see a difference. Well, there was no effect um, of a difference on antibiotic prescribing at a practice level for all antibiotics or um, by type of antibiotic. Um, so that was um, unfortunate, <laughs> uh, disappointing for us. Um, but then, of course, we had our surveys that prescribers in a practice um, had completed, and we had interviews with uh, champions and prescribers in practices. And that really explained the effect that we saw on the prescribing data and gave us a lot more information about what actually happened on the ground. Um, and I think that data is uh, actually quite exciting in terms of where we go next in the, this field of research. So, so what did so, happen um, on the ground? So what were the main findings yeah. coming up from the survey? So we saw, I mean, the first thing we saw, a massive variation in engagement. So although we had these nine practices and the nine practices all technically had an antibiotic champion, some of those champions were really enthusiastic volunteers. Some of those um, champions were, you know, senior partners with a lot of influence in their teams. And some of those um, champions kind of had to be in the role because it was their turn next to do something, you know, on the admin side of practice. So they were sort of reluctant champions uh, who really probably didn't have the time to take this on uh, in their day-to-day -day work. So from the outset, we saw variation engagement with the intervention. So some practices, you know, weren't reading the resources that we sent, um, were not delivering the practice meeting in the way that we intended. They said that they had a practice meeting, but they didn't use the slides that we provided um, or anything like that. And there was a misunderstanding of what the study was sometimes. So there was interpretation from some that it was just about point of care CRP testing. And so the other uh, AMS strategies were just completely ignored on the ground. Um, we also then saw variation in adoption as a result. So you can imagine there were a few practices where the champion wasn't engaged, the resources really weren't looked at, so nothing really happened on the ground, nothing was adopted. Um, in some practices, well, about four or five, I think they really concentrated on, on point-of-care CRP testing. So they did engage with that, they were very enthusiastic about that. And it tended to be because point-of-care testing was seen as novel. It's not something they'd already tried on the ground. Something a bit exciting, <laughs> yeah. It was exciting. They'd been given a, a brand new shiny piece of equipment, which the practice wouldn't have been able to afford otherwise. So I think the physicality of the CRP machine really overshadowed the other AMS strategies. Um, but it was also the novelty. Um, when you say communication skills and delayed prescriptions, GPs tend not to get overly excited about those because they've heard, they feel that they've heard it already. And it's quite hard to stress the novelty of those strategies sometimes. I like that phrase you used of the reluctant champion. And I think one of the main messages coming from this work are that practice champions are needed until new ways of working become embedded in practice. 
And in this study, GPs had mixed views about the use of delayed prescriptions. And I can relate to this. Mm. I've worked with several GPs who feel that the only definitive outcome of giving a delayed prescription is that the patient is going to run to the pharmacy and fill it immediately. Um, What were the techniques that you suggested in this study that were slightly different, as you described? Or was it just talking through the different options of how a delayed prescription might be given? Yeah, so basically... We, we were reminding clinicians that you can give delayed prescriptions in different formats, uh, and we had five listed in our intervention, um, which are all you know, uh, evidence-based. Um, clinical trials of delayed prescriptions show that it doesn't matter which format you use. The patient will use it the same regardless of what format you give them. Um, and as I said before, the trials show that about a third of delayed prescriptions are cashed by patients. So. I often speak to clinicians and they often say they're going to get cashed anyway. They're going to take them as soon as they leave the consultation. And the clinical trial data doesn't support that. So we wanted the clinicians to be aware that they could do it in different ways. So you can choose the format that works for the patient in front of you or that works for the way that your practice works. In terms of how you tell a patient what a delayed prescription is, that is actually quite a skilled conversation, which clinicians can sometimes underestimate. Often clinicians say, you know, here's a prescription, um, but, you know, try not to use it for a couple of days. And then in our intervention, we sort of said what the patients hear uh, when someone says that and the patients hear, okay, you don't need an antibiotic now, but you might need it later. And then there's the, the obvious question is, well, why do I not need it now? If I might need it later, what is what is going to change? Um, and so actually we wrote out some example texts that a clinician can use, which was something along the lines of, you know, everything that I can see in front of me now after examining you indicates that I, I don't think you need uh, an antibiotic. But, you know, illnesses might change over time and we can't, you know, 100% predict what's going to happen. So if you're not feeling better in three days time, or if you're feeling significantly worse, then that might indicate that your body's not fighting the infection as well as it is now. And in which case it might be beneficial for you to start taking the antibiotic. So we were proposing longer things to say to patients, but in terms of time, I think it's a matter of seconds longer. So it's still something that you could say in consultation. And any other key findings you want to highlight from this this research? I think one of the key things is about remote provision. Um, So because we wanted to keep this study um, as true to real life as possible, we didn't interfere or intervene with practices um, a, a great deal. So we delivered everything remotely. We gave them the website. Um, We sent them equipment and physical resources by post. Um, We spoke to them via email and over the phone, but it was very light touch because we wanted, um, if there was going to be any effect, we didn't want it to be as a result of the research team. We wanted it to be as a result of the intervention. And that is typically how um, UKSHA and others um, communicate with general practices on the ground. But what we saw was that some of our AMS strategies were misunderstood as a result for that. So, you know, delayed prescriptions not seen as novel, enhanced communication skills not seen as novel, uh, and point of care tests really overshadowing it. Um, so I think we need to be conscious of how we're asking 
practices to engage with AMS activities and making sure that they're fully understanding all the information that we've got. And for some, that might mean that we need more face-to-face engagement at the start. Um, And I also think we need a sort of trial period of some of these AMS strategies, um, because in our previous trials, we've shown that things like communication skills training, um, you get long lasting effects for. So uh, in the GRACE intro trial led by Paul Little in Southampton, there was still the effect of communications training at 12 months after the trial, but no effect of point of care CLP testing. So it might be that, you know, the novel flashy new pieces of equipment are very attractive to people but actually might not work longer term um, you know over a year or more um, when you're trying to fit them into consultations um, something like communication skills and, and delay prescribing does. Yeah I think there's some really key messages here for people who are designing studies like this just in terms of the practicalities of it so that's been useful from a research perspective but do you have any take-home messages here for people working on the ground in primary care, what would you tell a GP to do differently or not based on the results of this study? Well, I think I think one of the things that is a great resource that's out there that not many GPs I speak to have heard of is the RCGP Target Toolkit. Um, so this is hosted on the RCGP site. Um, it's been around for quite a few years now and is a really excellent resource of um, materials and information and training um, that practice teams can use to improve their antimicrobial stewardship. So some of the content from our intervention was actually put onto the target toolkit when we finished the study. Um, and that was the content on enhanced communication skills training and delayed prescriptions. So that's freely available now through the RCGP website. And the target toolkit is something that is um, led by the primary care unit in UKSHA and is constantly updated based on the latest evidence. So if there's any GPs or practices on the ground that is interested in AMS, definitely go to the target toolkit and they've got all the resources that you need. That's a toolkit that I wasn't aware of. So that's gone on my job list for something to do. You're you're not the only one, unfortunately, (laughs) but hopefully we're changing the tide. Okay, great. Um, So I think that's a great point to round off. Um, Just thanks very much for your time here. It's been great talking. Thank you. Really nice to meet you. And thank you all very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research article can be found on bjgp.org. It's just come out um, last week as an online first and the show notes and podcast audio can be found on bjgplife.com. And do remember to look up the RCGP target toolkit that Sarah described. I'm sure that's something that not everyone has heard of. And if you're interested in hearing more about current research in UK primary care, please do join us at the BJGP Research Conference, which is just around the corner on the 31st of March in London. If you'd like to register, the conference website is bjgp.org forward slash conference. Looking forward to meeting some of you there and catching up during the networking sessions. Thanks again and bye.